I am fantasy and paranormal romance author Leslie Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello friends, today is Saturday, October 22nd, 2022, and this is episode 191 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing was my husband and I went on a writing retreat. I was doing a personal retreat, just working on my book, and my husband was doing a workshop on children's book writing. So a couple of years ago, I guess the beginning of the pandemic, he got an idea for a children's book and he wrote some stuff out and I told him, this is your journey. Like I can point you in the right direction um, of resources, but I don't know anything about children's books. It's a picture book, you know, for young readers, not my area of expertise at all. And so, you know, kind of sat, he wrote it, he worked on it for a little while. And then this past year, he broke his foot, he had a bad accident and kind of reprioritized some things in his life and wanted to get back to this children's book. So I had learned about this retreat center. It's actually the Highlights Retreat Center in Pennsylvania from another author. And it's like in the country, in the woods, you can get wood cabins to stay in, like small private wood cabins. And there's also like a lodge, more like a hotel. They do all your meals. There's hiking trails. It's very like idyllic and peaceful and nature And it's fall right now. So I've been wanting to get my friends together to do a retreat and scheduling just has been an issue. And so I was on their newsletter and this children's book workshop came up and I sent it to my husband and I was a hundred percent sure he was going to be like rolling his eyes. and like, I'm not doing that. But with this new you know, kind of prioritization, new lease on life. I don't, it's not a new lease on life, but it's just, you know, as a reaction to the things that have happened to this year. And I guess probably over the past few years, um, he was open to it. And so, you know, we usually do a fall trip for our wedding anniversary. This ended up being folded into the fall trip. Uh, the leaves were really beautiful up there. And yeah, so we had a great time in the woods, not the greatest internet, but I highly recommend the Highlights Retreat Center. I will put a link in the show notes. You can do a single person, you know, retreat just by yourself. You can get together some friends and do your own customized retreat. Um, they also have these workshops. Now, a lot of it's for children's book authors. Like it's the people that do Highlights Magazine, if you remember that as a kid. And so they have a lot of illustrators and, you know, uh, children, middle grade, YA. I think they do adult fiction too. And I, the, the author friend who told me about it is an, an adult fiction writer. So, but I just don't know all of their programming. But even if it's just you or you and a couple of people, like I've been wanting to stay in one of these wood cabins and it was really nice. You know, it is a wood cabin in the woods. So there are some critters. The worst thing we had in our cabin was ladybugs, but they did warn us, you know, if you leave food out, you'll get mice. Um, and I think in other, you know, warmer climates, you might get a few other little creepy crawlies, which might not be your speed. Like ladybugs, I'm okay with. Other things, I was, I was on the lookout. I was very vigilant. Um, but there are the others. There's like a farmhouse and the lodge kind of hotel style, which I think has fewer opportunities for critters. Unlimited tea, which is very important to me when I'm at a writing retreat. I brought a big bag of my own tea, which I bring everywhere that I travel. There's lots of tea bags, but I didn't need to use them. They had they had good tea, they had good food, three meals a day. Um, I can't speak highly enough about it. I got a lot of work done. My husband's uh, workshop was very intense. It was like three sessions a day. So they were going from like 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., but it was only like two and a half days. So they kind of crammed in a week-long workshop into two and a half days. And during all those times, I was like, well, he's working, I'm working. So I was I was getting stuff done. 
So yes, that was definitely this week's best thing. I was working on Beastly Kingdom, of course, and making good progress. I did rewrite the beginning, but after the first three chapters, I've gotten back into a point where I can look at what I wrote before and, and revise it. So that's what I'm doing now. It's not going super fast, but since it is revising the fast draft that I already had, at least up until the midpoint, that's always slower work. And then once I get to a better place where I feel like I'm more grounded in the story, then I'm going to finish fast drafting. Normally, I would do the entire fast draft before any kind of revision. But for this one, I just really did feel like I was changing so much at the beginning and it's been so long that I wanted a real like a good, clean version of the beginning that I could review and then, you know, figure out. And like I said last week, you know, I'd fast after the first half already, so I didn't need to redo that. I will need to figure out how it ends. And But I've gotten so many new ideas. Um, so I'm feeling, you know, cautiously optimistic about it. I kind of want someone to read the first few chapters and tell me if they're boring, because I'm finding that these two characters are a little bit more internal monologue-y than my characters tend to be. And that's just how they're coming out. Um, I was looking at this chapter, I'm like, what actually happened in this chapter? Like, it's basically they wake up and go to breakfast, and there's a lot of internal, you know, inter interpersonal conflict happening and sort of setting the stage for what's to come. I'm a little bit unsure about the opening. And, you know, there's a certain stage when all of your writer friends are on their own deadlines and they're all super busy and you're like, oh, I need someone to to critique this. Or, you know, not even beta read because it's just a few chapters. I really need someone to look at this and you kind of run out of people. So I have to find some people to look at these chapters and give me some feedback on them. And then, yeah, keep keep moving forward, keep going and get it done. But so far, so good. And and kind of having that time where I don't have to worry about the dogs, the cats, dishes, cooking, any of that stuff. Just get up, go, I pick up the food and eat it and then go right, go to lunch, pick up the food that is there, eat it. Like, that can't be overstated. Um, and there are people from all over the country who had flown in. It is sort of like in the middle of nowhere, like not super close to any airport. But still, once you get there, you'll have all of the time in the world too, right? So yeah, hopefully I can get my friends to do um, a group retreat out there in the spring, maybe. And I'm definitely going back. I had a wonderful time. So this book that I'm writing um, in the series, I envisioned it as paranormal romance. And it is to a certain extent. Although I do see a lot of people calling it fantasy romance, which makes sense. And you might ask, what is the difference between fantasy and paranormal romance? And I think the difference is sort of between fantasy and urban fantasy slash paranormal romance. And it depends how much romance is in the book uh, as to whether it's urban fantasy or paranormal romance. But it is a version of our world, a version of San Francisco, slightly in the future, but people shift into animals. So that's why I I wanted it to be paranormal romance, because they are shifters. But of course, what I wrote is probably better classified as fantasy romance, because it has a lot more world building than PNR, paranormal romance, uh, generally has. And it, as I was working on this, and because there were several days that I actually had to pull back from writing and be like, I don't know enough about this world in order to continue. I did the world building only as much as I needed since uh, Savage City Book One went through so many iterations and I worked on it for so many years. There was a lot of there was a lot of world building that had been done. 
Some of it had been discarded. Some of it you just see glimpses of in the book. But the entirety of book one takes place in the Namali territory, which is Namali are one of the clans. There's two different clans, Namali and Fae. And this book, the lead character is a Fae. And some of it takes place in the Fae world, in their homeland, their section of the city. And, you know, I went into this book not really knowing much about how their society worked. I knew basic things. I knew that the differences between them and the Namali, who are more high tech, they're much more like conservationists, back to nature. But I had to sit down and figure out, okay, economics, currency, do they have currency? Are they bartering? Like, what is that system? The government system, I knew just the bare, bare minimum. Um what jobs do people have? You know, like, what do they eat? How do they get their clothes? Where does, literally, where does the fabric come from that their clothes are made of? Because this is a post-apocalyptic world. Things like that, that I had sketched out for, you know, the Namali when I was doing their book. And we start in Fey territory, we move back and forth, I think, at the moment. So yeah, a lot of that world building had to happen. Then I had to go back into history and just refresh myself and fill in some of the gaps I had on the history of the world and of these two clans. And all that had to happen before I could move forward because these things, you know, they inform the actions and the personalities, if not the personalities, the um, circumstances around which people have grown up and then kind of their worldview, things like that, religion. I haven't delved too much deeper into the religion yet. Um, But yeah, a lot of world building had to happen. And so my goal has been trying not to overcomplicate it. So back to paranormal versus fantasy. Fantasy has a lot more detailed world building than PNR because fantasy readers expect it slash require it or want it. And PNR readers generally don't. And it reminded me of when I took Becca Symes uh, Write Better Faster class several years ago. And back then, everyone got a one-on-one with Becca, who is just amazing. And uh, anything she does, I think is great. But yeah, she told me way back when during our one-on-one, when I was kind of explaining some of the issues I was having, and I can't remember what book I was working on. It might have been Savage City at that point, like the previous version of it. And at one point she was like, Leslie, do you have to write paranormal romance? And I was like, what? And she's like, you do really well with fantasy. You've gotten, you know, like the front of the book of um, my fantasy books is like a masterclass in fantasy world building, which is what I love to do. I love world building. And she was like, Paranormal romance readers don't need all of that world building. Fantasy readers do. Like, can you just write fantasy? Can you stick with that? And I was like, can I? (laughs) I was thinking to myself. Um, And I took that in and I agreed with her that she was right. And then I decided I was going to write paranormal romance anyway, or I was going to try to. And so it's no surprise that I ended up writing a fantasy romance instead when what I was trying to do was something different. And now I just have to live with that decision and take the uh, take my lumps because I like the world that I've created, but it is getting complicated and it was always complicated. I mean, I talked about this when I was drafting the first book and I was trying to simplify it and it just kept getting complicated. And I don't know if I'll ever learn to actually lean into the things that I'm good at and stop fighting against it. I feel like I'm fighting windmills all the time. That is just some of what I've been dealing with. Another thing I've been dealing with is the diversity issue. And specifically, a thing that bothered me personally, not bothered me, but I thought about in terms of the new Rings of Power, the Lord of the Rings series, which has all this diversity, which 
I'm not mad at the, at the diversity. I'm just confused. Like when you take the um, the Harfoots, and if you haven't watched it, Harfoots are like Hobbit-esque people. They're like predecessors to Hobbits, small, pointy-eared, big-feeted, <laughs> big-feeted people. But their Harfoots are incredibly diverse. There's Black and like Indian or South Asian characters and there's all kinds of people in this very, very small community that makes you wonder, what are the genetics of this? Like, how did this come about? And even, you know, the Black Elves, we see, I think there's only one Black Elf I remember seeing on screen, the main guy. Did he come from a bunch of Black Elves? I assume his parents were, I mean, in real life, the actor is Puerto Rican. So whatever that analog is going to be in this new world they've created, they have the woman, the Queen Regent, who is Black or biracial. And I think it's great. I want people from all different walks of life to have jobs and to be on television and in films and working actors. And I think it's lovely. And to be on screen for all of us to enjoy. But I would really like for it to make more sense than it does. So we have the island of Numenor, which is an island of men, and it was gifted to the men by the elves because of their service. Where did the Black people come from? Where did the um, obviously like Pacific Islander <laughs> actors come from? And how did that how did those genetics work? So in a way, it, it's a criticism, but not a criticism. Like at the end of the day, I would rather see it, like have it there than have everybody be white and it make more biological sense. But I do wish that they could have just paid some attention to the idea and been like, oh, well, you have this this black clan and this you know Pacific Islander clan and they just came from XYZ place. Like, House of the Dragon does it better. The Valerians are black. We don't know exactly why they're black. I've seen some YouTube theories about, oh, some of them might have come from the Summer Islands or whatever. But like that whole family is black and it is important to the story. They they made the change from the books in a way that was very relevant to the story in terms of who are those children's daddy? You know, like that enhanced it. I feel like in the case of House of the Dragon, adding the diversity made sense, added something. Not that the diversity has to add anything beyond giving people jobs and allowing people to have representation. But from a fantasy world building perspective, I'm thinking about where do these people come from? So back to my books, I have a very diverse cast of characters in because it was San Francisco. And I was like, oh, there's got to be lots of you know Asian people there and people from all over the world. And because it was a version of that city, which is very diverse. But then I was like, of course, they are shifters and they have their own sort of lineage. So I just had to make it make sense to me. It's not something I'm putting in the book, like on the page necessarily. But hopefully it will come through that there are reasons or maybe there'll be a line here or there that will hint to, okay, well, there were shifters all over the world that gathered here. And so that's why these people have these different races and backgrounds, but they all changed their naming system of how they name their children, because that is very specific to the shifters when they got there. You know, that's something I may or may not actually include in the book because I decided to give them a naming convention as part of the world building that normal humans wouldn't have had, but these shifters, both clans, did have. And I feel like since I did that, there was a reason and someone might be interested to know why. Anyway, you may disagree. I'm sure some people do, but I think about that when I'm watching things and, and just consuming media. I like that there's Black people, but where do they come from? 
I don't know if it's two weeks in a row or it was the week before last, but um, making a habit of recommending Erin Bowman's newsletter. She's doing great work. Um, she has a paid version. I'm still on the free version, but her articles are good. And the one that came out this week was called Enjoyability Above All Else. And it was just about what makes an enjoyable story. And so it sort of contradicts everything I just said, because <laughs> for most people, they're not going to be nitpicky about the details. And as long as your story is enjoyable and has the big things right and really comes down to emotions, you're giving the reader the emotions that they want, they're going to forgive plot holes and things that don't make sense. And in a way, like I forgive the plot holes. Like I didn't like Rings of Power, not because of that issue. <laughs> like there were other things I had problems with that maybe not like the show as much as I could have. But once again, I have pet peeves. I have things that really bug me. And I can like silo them and say, okay, these are things I wish had been done better, but I really did enjoy the story and the characters and I got a lot of enjoyment out of the overall, um, every, everything else working together as a whole. And so, yeah, that's just a thing to, to remember. I thought it was a good article about that. Another great post that I found somewhere, I can't remember now, but it's it's a really old one from author Stephanie Perkins, and it's about love lists. And just um, when she talks about when she writes a new project, she begins a list called What I Love About the Story and writing down the things that spark her. And I do something sort of similar. It's kind of like, why do I want to write this story? What I do is more... Um, what I'm trying to say, what I'm hoping that the story will do, why I, I think it's important to tell, not so much the things I love and the elements that I think that I'm really excited to write. I think this might be a good exercise to do in addition to what I already do, which is sort of my vision statement about the novel, is just, yeah, there's going to be things that I love in it. So I'll link to that as well. In organizational news, I've been redoing a bunch of my systems or trying out different different ways to be more productive. I had to schedule a bunch of meetings and interviews and things recently. And it was always like, oh, let me know your availability. And I was like, oh, Tuesday 11 to 3, Wednesday 10 to 2. Like I had to go kind of list for the next week or two. And I was like, there's got to be a better way. So I went to try to find a way to show people my calendar availability. Just, I know that there was some kind of software like that. And I settled on Calendly, which is a, like an appointment scheduling software, but it allows me to sync up my calendar, my Google calendar, and then you know say, okay, these are the blocks of time that I'm willing to have meetings. So I can just send someone a link and be like, hey, this is my availability, schedule some time and we'll do the thing, a meeting, the podcast interview, the whatever. And I'm really excited about that. In order to make that work, though, I had to find a way to combine three different Google calendars because I have three Gmail accounts for personal, my web business, and my author business, and they each have their own calendar. And so I put the corresponding task on the corresponding calendar. And while I can see them all, Calendly couldn't see them. So I'm using something called reclaim.ai, which, among other things, will sync multiple calendars. Now, to do more than two, I think you have to go on the paid version. And I do have three, but there's other features that I'm excited about using that make it worth it. And it's not actually very expensive. I'm really excited about this. So I've been like playing around with it, getting the calendars all set up. The other thing that this will do is time blocking, which I talk about in the workshop that I do on organizing your author life. I usually do my time blocking 
on paper because I don't like to clutter up my Google Calendar with everything I'm doing all day. So breakfast, email checking, um, work on this project for two hours. You know, my writing time is on my calendar because it's a it's a Google Meet uh, event invite. But I don't like to see every day full of things so that I can't see the actual important things like when I need to meet somebody, which are the main things on the calendar. If, you know, the block of checking my email and then two hours working on this website and then the meeting that I have and then, uh, you know, three hours doing this other thing, if they're all on the calendar, it's just white noise to me. So I needed a way to time block using my calendar so that it, it can know when I'm busy, but not make me see, look at the calendar and like be able to see it. And I finally figured out how to do that using Reclaim. It required a fourth calendar. So I did have an extra Gmail account that I use for various things that I hooked up. So everything, all of the tasks, habits, other things are now on the fourth Google account calendar that I can turn off. So I don't have to look at it on my phone or on my iCal, but it's there and I can look at it in the app and... I'm really excited about this. Hopefully that made sense. I will link to an article about time blocking or time boxing if you are unfamiliar with that. But it's basically just scheduling time for every single task you need to do so that it gets done and blocking it off on your calendar. Um, yeah, so that's cool. For my web business, I'm actually moving to a different accounting invoicing system over the next month. And that's going to be a big pain. But it's going to require that I just tighten up my organization a little bit because otherwise things can fall through the cracks much more easily. So I'm excited about those new tools, new software, <laughs> my gadgets. They just kind of make me happy. So um, that's it for me for this week. And goals for the coming week. Just keep keep pushing away at Beastly Kingdom and get a few more chapters done. If you're listening to this in real time, I have an event with author Alex Jennings on Thursday, October 27th. It is a UK event, so it's in the middle of the afternoon on the East Coast, 8 p.m. UK time. And I'll put that link in the show notes as well. Hope you have a wonderful week, and I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. You can email me at podcast at lpenelope.com, and I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts. 